Isn't baptism just awesome just to see that and the new life in the real, uh, real life, uh, new life in physical reality? Can we celebrate Deshaun and his confession? All right, I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. No, I was just kidding. Um, so I was thinking about the story of uh, when I was in grade school, and there was a group of us, <clears throat> and we decided, a group of guys, four or five guys, to build in the field behind our house this bike ramp, right? A, a jump that we could jump up, and so... Uh, we were constructing this ramp, and it was really exciting and fun, if you've ever done that. However, I did have one concern. That one concern was, as all my friends, literally every one of them, had very cool, lightweight mongoose bikes. Do you remember some of you might remember? I think they still have mongoose bikes, right? But it was just kind of that, that turn what I had was my brother's hand-me-down, Ross, extremely heavy bike with, do you remember those banana handlebars, like that added to the weight? Yeah, it was not cool at this moment in my childhood, right? And as we were constructing this ramp, I was starting to get concerned that all my friends were gonna hit the ramp and catch some awesome air and I was just going to go on and down the ramp, right? That was a concern. And I'm pretty sure my friends were thinking about, I wonder if he can get that clunk of junk off even an inch, right? So I was determined. They were all jumping, you know, and then it became my turn. And I get on the, the bike, and I backed up a little bit. I got the speed, and I hit the ramp, and by golly, I got air. I was up in the air, as high as my friends. Now, there was one problem. The clunker Ross hand-me-down bike, the neck that was holding on to the extremely embarrassing banana wheel or banana handlebars snapped in the air because I yanked on it. And so I'm in the air flying, holding on to the handlebars with nothing. Right? I land, and I, imagine, I manage to land on my feet, holding the handlebars. However, the, the neck that had rusted out cut my thigh all the way up. I was telling my son this story. He's like, Dad, did you get a tetanus shot? And I was like, I, I don't know if we knew what tetanus shots were at that time. We just, you know, went home and put some bandages on it, right? So my friends... They were impressed with both the air that I got and my landing that I stuck. And my friend Brock said, hey, listen, you're bleeding, so let's, uh, I'll drive, uh, I'll ride your bike home and you take my mongoose, which was probably my highlight. I got to ride a mongoose bike for like three blocks. And my friend Brock, I still have this visual, he's riding the bike and he's holding, without handlebars, he's holding the neck. And he made it home that way. And the reason that I tell the story is not only to unload some remnant bitterness about, you know, the hand-me-down, thank you, mom and dad, but also that picture of Brock riding my, my bike, steering with the neck, 
I think is a picture of the church. That, that I've become convinced that large portions of the church through uh, some, I would say, uh, uh, theology that's not quite there is lacking handlebars. And, and, and as we steer this movement of the kingdom of God, it's time to get the handlebars back, yes? I mean, it would be great to exchange Ross for mongoose, but we'll, we'll see what happens with that, Wadey. And, and so I, so we started last week this series on gifts, that God has gifted you with particular gifts related to the desires of your heart, your calling. We're going to talk about that. We started in 1 Corinthians 12, and we read, and we're just about to read the controversial, what's called manifestational gifts. We're going to do that, but not this morning. I want us to hold on to that place because we'll get to those gifts. What I'd like to do is go to another passage that talks about gifts predominantly. We're going to go to Ephesians 4. If you've brought your Bibles, would you turn those? Uh, <laughs> thank you, Kevin. Yes, we will also have them on the screen up there. And so, so we're going to look at, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to set a little bit of a context for how we receive and use and practice the gifts of God. I think this is really, really important. And I do believe that we will find the missing handlebars in this passage of Scripture. Okay? We're going to be at Ephesians 4. And the book of Ephesians, many leaders would say or see the book of Ephesians as Paul, the Apostle Paul's best thinking regarding the church. That of all the letters, there's beautiful letters, and many of them are situational. Romans, of course, is kind of the theological Himalayas of Paul's letters. But Ephesians is where he, he really reflects on the purpose of the church and how we live well and how the church is a vital part, meant to be a vital part of our Christian faith and relationship with Christ. In fact, it's hard to really live well the faith without the community of Christ. In Ephesians 4, he's going to talk about maturity and purposes and gifts. And, and I'm, we're going to use the word gifts, but I, I would really like you to think about purposes, the purpose of the church in this section. I think this is the best section to look at in regards to the purpose of the church. So you might want to set aside some old ways of thinking about the church. And say, hey, Paul, would you disciple us a little bit? What's the church meant to be about? Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy. To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Are you aware that you've received a calling? You have if you're a Christian. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you think Paul is focused on one word in particular? Is there a repetition? I always pay attention to repetition, right? But to each one of us, grace. This is a serving grace, a ministry grace. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ Jesus apportioned it. This is why it says, quoting Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. Of course, he's talking about Christ Jesus now. Ascending on high, above the heavenly realms, above all realms, to the right hand of the Father. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God, I think I could preach three sermons from these passages of Scripture that we read, right? There's so much depth packed into it. But I, I want us to walk through this and be mindful of the flow of the passage for just a moment. So first, Paul... He loves to say that he loves to invite people reading his epistles and you and I to live a life worthy. Worthy of what? He puts all these different truths into the different letters. For example, right here in verse 1, he says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Paul also says, Philippians 1, conduct yourselves in a, worthy, uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Colossians 1, live a life worthy, worthy of yourselves, uh, worthy of the Lord, Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2, he urges us to live lives worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom. He's inviting us. He's saying, in light of your relationship with the Lord, in light of the purposes and the plans that he has for you, would you respond with a life that is worthy? Don't live underneath Christ. Don't live underneath that calling and that purpose. Rise up and live a life that is worthy. In this context, he's talking about calling. And when he says calling, he means a couple of things. First and foremost, really, he means that each and every one of us are called to partake in God's grand purpose for this world. That God is on the move. He is working and restoring all things. He's ministering. He's forgiving. He's healing. 
And we are called, if we're followers of Christ, if we've declared him, if we've been baptized, then we're meant to partake in that overriding calling. In fact, he says, I want you to not only be involved in this overarching calling, but I'm going to give you a role. I'm going to give these passions in your heart that I want you to pay attention to. I'm going I'm to give you gifts, supernatural gifts by my spirit because I'm not going to send you out without me. I'm going to send you with my spirit so that whatever that, that heartbeat is, whatever that calling, your place on the wall of the kingdom of God, I'm going to gift you and equip you to fulfill your individual calling within the kingdom of God. He says, don't live a life below that. Don't miss it with your life. Live into God's great calling. And find your purpose in that calling. And then he's going to say in verse 2, I'm going to give you some qualities that are essentials, that are necessary if you're going to live this worthy calling. He says, I'm inviting you to complete humility and gentleness, complete gentleness. He includes patience. Look at verse 2 again. Bearing with one another in love. Love is essential. Yes, he's going to get to that in 1 Corinthians. Of course, you can't live this kind of life without love. He invites us to this kind of unity. And he's going to say, make every effort for this unity. Make every effort Right? Don't let one stone be unturned for unity and humility and gentleness and love. Every effort. And then he goes to what I would call this beautiful sevenfold oneness. You all heard him repeating one again and again and again, right? He's, he's pressing in. He's saying, would you think for a moment about the things that unite us? This will help in this complete unity venture. Would you think that we believe in, in one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father? That's a lot of ones, right? He's saying, look at all that unites us that we should be together on and celebrating. You know, I was thinking about this idea of, of oneness and uh, <clears throat> my wife's nephew just got married yesterday, so of course, we're in this beautiful setting, mountains. It was south of Pueblo, and, and the sun is shining. They've got this gazebo, and we can see the mountains. We're surrounded by trees. It was this gorgeous thing. And then, of course, they did my favorite part of all wedding ceremonies. Do you know what that is? It, it's, it won't be too hard to figure out. It's my favorite symbol. The candle. Was this a hint? Yes, it is. <laughs> no, you don't even say good. Yes. Yes. So, um, in, in fact, this is Ephesians 4. Ephesians 5, Paul is going to talk about marriage. He's going to talk about the life of husband and wife. And just as he and, he, and he quotes Genesis that says, you'll leave your father and mother and be united, be cleaved. You'll become 
one. And in, in Ephesians 5, just as Paul is talking about that, he says, oh, but by the way, I'm not talking about husbands and wives. I, I'm, well, he kind of is, but he's actually talking more about Christ and the church. And I was thinking, you know, this is a, what a, a beautiful way to think about, oh, come on. Oh, there we go. I want you to think about this symbol of Christ and the church. But before I light the unity candle, I want you to think about this passage of Scripture. What Paul is saying is he's addressing potential discord and disputes and dissent and disagreement among the churches in the church of Ephesus, in the church of Corinth. Right? And, and he's saying, he, he's addressing the, the division and the fights and what are happening. Isn't it so good that we don't have any kind of that uh, division in church today that we've, that we've moved past? Isn't that awesome? Unfortunately, it's probably worse, right? It, it's, it, it's worse than that. It, it's, there's so much. Our, our culture just generally... Our country right now is, is steeped in division and we're arguing and we're, we're, we're fighting with one another. We can't even have an intelligible conversation with people who view things differently than us. And that's a shame. And I believe that the church is missing this incredible opportunity in a divided country to be a place of unity, of forgiveness, of the love of God. We are not speaking into this division. In fact, this division is creeping into our churches, yes? I was given an article by an uh, Iranian pastor, and I love reading uh, Christians in other nations and how they view the United States. It just pulls you out and you're like, oh, yeah. And he said, um, he said a lot of things that were super convicting. One, he said is, why are the American Christians not seeking the Lord and asking what is God doing in the midst of the pandemic? I don't hear that. Great point. He also said this. Um, by the way, he talked about how the Spirit is on the move in Iran and building the church. And then he says, I see the American Christians in two camps. One, they're arguing for their rights. And he said, a just society, that matters. That should be a part of our articulation as Christians, not faulting them for that. So there's another portion of, of, of the church that is talking about um, uh, civil rights and uh, injustice. Um, and, and he says that's super important, right? We, we're to be for the poorest and the least of these. He said, but they're both missing the main deal. They're, they're missing our main call, which is the proclamation of Jesus Christ 
as the healer of the, of the world. So I see the American church as being, uh, yes, be involved in those things, but they can be distracting from the primary thing, which is the proclamation that Jesus has now made forgiveness available and he's at work healing this world together. I thought, wow, what a beautiful word about that, that we are divided. And here's the thing is, depending on the camp that the Christians are in, they're, they're criticizing one another for not being in the camp that they are. Would you agree? Would you agree that we're missing this opportunity to be a place of unity? Jesus, next time you want to post on social media a, a, a slightly negative word, especially about political leaders, we're in this season, unfortunately, we're, we're, we're in this moment in history. I'm always mindful of Jesus' prayer in John 17, which is referred to as the, uh, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He prays for himself, beautiful, read 17, uh, John 17. He prays for his apostles, and then he prays for you and me. He prays for those of us who would believe. And listen to the center of his prayer. It's verses 22 and 23. I have given them, he's talking about you and me. I've given them glory that you gave me, which is incredible, that they may be, boy, that word is all over the place. Maybe we should pay attention that they may be one, get this, as we, who's he praying to? Father, Jesus, are. He's inviting us into the oneness of the Trinity. And he's saying, these brothers and sisters... that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. Well, unity seems to be a theme as well. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved me, have loved them even as you have loved me. What is he saying? He's saying the intention what is supposed to happen, what Jesus is praying for, I believe, to this very day, is that our unity is so complete that our love for one another, that we're bearing one another's burdens, that we're focused on not our differences, but all that unites, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. We're focused on all of that and that we're not allowing any issue, political or otherwise, to rise above the unity that he invites us to, that we would live together and the world would go, man, this is terrible, yet some people got it figured out. 
They're not fighting. They're not going back and forth. They love each other. And it seems like some of them are Democrats and some of them are Republicans. Yet they love each other. Some of them are really passionate about the, the, a civil society. Some of them want to go and, and really focus on the least of these. And yet they love each other. They, they, they even see differences in some of their views and how they would articulate. And yet they love each other. There, there's, this, there's this unity, this, this bond. What, what is going on? Let's check that out. Boy, what a testimony that would be. So Paul really focuses in on this oneness. I encourage you, the next time you speak, an opposition word about anyone else, would you think about the Lord's uh, high priestly prayer and would you think about this unity, complete unity, make every effort to keep the unity. If that isn't beautiful enough, Paul goes on, he goes from unity to diversity. That there is diversity in the body. It has to be based on unity, but it's meant to flow from unity in a variety of different ways, in a variety of different streams, if you will. You could call them the purposes and the ministries of the church. I want you to understand first and foremost that these passages in terms of pit, uh, purposes and ministries of the church. Okay, Paul is going to quote Psalm 68 and he's going to say, Jesus fulfills this psalm. So Jesus descended to the lower regions. People discuss what is that exactly. Is it simply this broken earth that he descended to? Is it farther to the depths that those who are lost were unsure? But we all know there's agreement of what he's ascended to, you know, above all things to fill the whole universe. He's at the right hand of the Father, enthroned at the center of the universe. And as he goes and is ascending, Paul paints this picture. In, in the time of Paul, there were these the Caesars and the kings, and if they would conquer a people and return to the city like Rome, people would be gathered around, there would be a celebration of victory, and they would be throwing out food and coins and gifts, right? If any of you have seen uh, Gladiator, just out of cure, it's a little uh, harsh, right? It, it is rated R because of the violence, just so you know. However, there's a moment when Caesar returns to Rome and the people are gathering, they're cheering. It was victorious. They finally conquered Germania and they're throwing out gifts and their celebration. Paul is saying, think of Jesus as he ascended to heaven. He gives out gifts for you, for the church. 
in the context of calling, the calling of what God is doing in this world for you to partake in that, here's some gifts. Here's some ministries for you. Look at verse 11. If we can put verse 11 on the screen by chance. So Christ himself gave some to be apostles, to be prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Friends, I want to suggest that our missing handlebars are in that verse. That for a lot of the church, we've missed, we've lived really with two primary gifts, pastoring and shepherding and teaching. Sometimes we've had evangelism, right? But we've missed, in fact, we're clueless in many ways about what apostolic ministry is and what prophetic ministry is. And yet these were gifts that Jesus gave, I'm convinced, until he returns a second time. So we're trying to peddle this thing we call the kingdom of God and we're steering with this rusty neck. And I I would say one of the things that God is doing is returning the awkward banana handlebars of apostolic ministry and prophetic ministry. Also, that Iranian Christian leader was saying, I think God's wanting to do some new wineskins in this time. So let's just talk about this for a second. Would you think with me, first and foremost about these five ministries. So we have a sevenfold oneness of unity and then he goes to a fivefold diversity of purposes of the church. Before you think of them as, as gifts of the church, which they are, but also think of them as purposes of the church or ministries of the church. Let's talk, what is apostolic ministry? Here's my, my working definition I don't have it all squared away. I wasn't reared and trained in, with handlebars, right? But apostolic ministry is the strategic advancement of all facets of the kingdom of God. That he's raising up leaders. He calls us all to this. That's an important note. He calls us all to partake in all of these five ministries. But for some of us, he's going to raise up leaders in this apostolic ministry. This apostolic ministry has to do with leadership and governance and the initiation of new ministries. Would you think with me, for example, Barnabas? We walked through the book of Acts, and we did talk about Barnabas, right? And Barnabas, even though he wasn't one of the original 12, he's referred to as an apostle. Did you know that? And what he does is he provides some strategic leadership to the church. There was a a movement happening at Antioch. And you know who the the, uh, um, apostles, the original 12, sent to Antioch to, to see the work that was happening? It was Barnabas. And he gets in there and he says, yes, that's good. And he blesses them. And then what Barnabas does is he, he in, in a leadership way, he says, you know what? I know this guy, Saul, 
who's in Tarsus, I bet you it would be awesome to bring him to Antioch and release his teaching gift and bless the body. So he goes to Tarsus. He connects with Saul, who would soon to be Paul, brings him to Antioch, and he gets him in just the right spot and his passion and his gifts, and he builds the church in Antioch through Paul. And then it comes time, there's, there's uh, teachers and prophets in, a, uh, in Acts 13, and they say, you know what, it's time to send Saul and Barnabas off for this new initiation of works. Let's do some church planting. Paul, uh, Barnabas is living a living example, a biblical example of apostolic ministry for us. Let's think about prophetic ministry for a moment. I I would define my working definition as this, discerning and sharing the voice of God. This sometimes relates to the future, prophetic, but oftentimes it relates to listening and hearing and imparting the word for the encouragement and the blessing of the body. Oftentimes we think of prophetic as somewhat negative, Right? But the, the essence of it is in this time, in the new covenant, God is blessing and encouraging. It also incur, uh, is about calling the church to faithfulness. So if we're missing part of our call, say we're failing to love the least of these. We're failing to speak to racism when we see it. Oftentimes, it's the prophet's role to say, hey, no go. This is part of what the church is supposed to be about. If we're failing to share Christ Jesus as the hope of the world, it's the prophets that go, hey, ho, you're off center. Some of you remember Philip from, uh, he was one of the seven deacons that was called to serve, and then he goes to Samaria. We're told, we, we see the, um, Paul with Luke, the inspired writer of Acts. They're journeying. They go to Caesarea, and they come to Philip, and Philip has some daughters. Listen to how he, um, Paul, uh, Luke writes about the daughters. Leaving the, the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist. Um, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. I think we have that. This is Acts 21, 8 through 10. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. I read that, that in the early church, The ministry, the prophetic ministry was alive and well. You had Philip's daughters that were seeking the voice of the Lord. Imagine them in a church setting going, the Lord is saying, I bless you, good job for staying faithful in the midst of martyrdom and struggle and pain. You have been faithful. God has you. He loves you. Can you imagine that prophetic ministry? Agabus was recognized for that in different times, calling people to faithfulness. 
Would you like to be a part of prophetic ministry today? Would you like to be a part of apostolic ministry today? Evangelism. Work through these really fast. Sharing of the good news of Christ, the kingdom. I read about Philip, and he was the only one in Scripture recognized as an evangelist, that evangelism, the ministry of evangelism, just like apostolic and prophetic, we're all called to. We're not all called to lead in it. We're all called to partake in this purpose, this ministry of God, shepherding ministry, the care of souls and all of lives, spiritual needs, emotional needs, physical needs of the people. That's part of the unity. That's part of the oneness. That's part of bearing with one another as we see the world should see us caring for all aspects of one another's lives, a beautiful ministry. Um, I think of Peter, who in his letters said to leaders, shepherd God's people well. In Lydda, he goes and ministers to Aeneas and Dorcas. He says, he says, look at Jesus, the great shepherd of our soul. Live that, live faithful. And then finally, teaching. We, We know that the instruction of the truth of the word of God, of course, the apostle Paul was thought of as the apostle, which he was, but he also had this teaching gift used in his letters and epistles. Now, let me ask you this. Before we talk about the gifts that you have, which we're going to in this series, the gifts that God has given you, maybe you know them, maybe you don't, but we'll talk about them in just a sense. Would you pull back from that idea of our personal gifts and first and foremost and say, of these five purposes of the church, of these five ministries, is there one or two of them that you'd say, boy, if I could be a part of that, that gets my heart a flutter. I would love to be a part of that apostolic ministry, the advancement, these new initiatives and church plan. I, I would love the prophetic ministry. Are there gifts and calling in prophetic ministry? Yes, there are. And, and to discern the voice of God and, and share that with others. Evangelism, that's what our world needs. People inviting them. Uh, my heart beats for that. Is there one or two of those ministries that would get your heart a flutter and at home that God is calling you today? Yes? Yes? I'm just going to say, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's live these five ministries and purposes of the church. If this is Paul's best thinking of the church, if we are called as Christians to be a part of all of these, a part of a movement, let's do it. Can we? Should we? All right. Now... Just to wrap up, we have a sevenfold oneness, a fivefold ministry or purpose, and Paul goes to a threefold, what you could call an end result. If we do this, if we share in the purposes and the ministries of the church, he says, we'll see 
spiritual maturity, we'll see complete unity, we'll see a wholeness in him. Look at verse 12, to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Let's just talk about each of those real briefly. Spiritual maturity. I'm just going to say this, that you should know this. Part of being Christians is an invitation to ongoing transformation. That you're not meant to sit at the same place of spiritual maturity, that part of the church, with the church, that you and I are invited to continual depth and growing within in our relationship with the Lord and our service to Him. In fact, in Hebrews, possibly Apollos, who wrote Hebrews, he was a little frustrated with the Christians that he was talking to. Listen to what he says. He says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. (coughs) Excuse me. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Some of us are still sitting in the elementary truths of the church. And he's saying, no, no. Think of Deshaun, that journey. We talked about that journey that Deshaun was on. Praise God, he didn't sit in the elementary truths, right? If he would have, we wouldn't have experienced baptism with Deshaun. No, but he's calling now, is Deshaun done growing? He's baptized, he's good. Deshaun, just keep your nose clean, and then when Jesus comes back, you'll get your reward. All right, just don't sin. It's not a management of sin gospel. It's not a gospel of sin management. It's a, it's a gospel of we are being formed into the image of Christ Jesus. We're all called to that. And guess what? If we begin to serve in this five-fold ministry way, we'll begin to experience that growth and transformation. We'll do it in other ways. We'll do it in KLCs. We'll do it in Kingdom Ambassadors. We'll do that. But as we serve, I want you to be mindful, we'll begin to experience the most I ever grew in a shorter period of time was when I was asked to lead a Bible study. Boy, I studied so hard because <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. Sophomore in college. As we serve, we grow. All right, unity. We've talked a lot about unity. I just want to bring this up. In Philippians, Paul was so concerned about an argument between two leaders 
that in this public letter that he knew would be read to the whole church and then would circulate to other churches, he's so concerned about these two leaders that he names, him in, that names them in the book of Philippians. He says this. He says, I plead with, do we have that? Eudia, and I plead with Syntyche. Now, I don't know what their issue was. It might have been who had the worst name possible, right? But moving beyond that, we don't really know the issue that they were wrestling with. It says, but to be of the same mind and in the Lord, in agreement in the Lord. Paul doesn't pick a side. He doesn't unpack their issue. He says, whatever it is, listen, be of one mind. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, he's talking to the church, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. These women have served side by side and now they have so much to share and now they're being wrecked with division, whatever it is. Would you make every effort to be united? You see that? He says, as you focus on what unites us, unity, as you focus on the purposes of God, he said, fight for that unity together. He pleads with them. Be a reconciler. Be a peacemaker. Help one another. And then finally, this idea of wholeness, this whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I'm going to blow your mind for just one moment. Well, not me, but Paul is. He uses this Greek word pleroma, which is easier to say than the two names that I just tried to read. And, and what he's saying, he uses this word another time um, in Colossians 2.9 when he's talking about Christ Jesus. We read it earlier in the worship says, talking about Christ Jesus, the fullness of God dwelling in Christ Jesus. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So that's significant, yes. That's who Jesus is, all of God filling. the wholeness in Christ the Son. And then he says this in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. He says, he's praying, he says, this is how I pray for you, that you may have the power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's talking about you. I can hardly believe it. He's talking about the fullness of God. Just as it rests in Christ Jesus, it rests in us. What? What? That's part of God's plan. 
That's what God is doing. That's what that's your calling. That's what God is inviting you to. He's saying, don't get tripped up by these other things that will, will divide us, but, but I'm calling you to this oneness because of his plan. And if you see the purposes of God flowing out and you're part of that, then spiritual go- growth, the unity I'm talking about, and the fullness of God in you, his church. I don't know how we're going to live a life worthy of that call. (laughs) I don't know how. It's got to be the Holy Spirit working in us. It's got to be the Holy Spirit giving us gifts. It's got to be the Spirit shaping and forming our heart to live for him. I want to invite the uh, worship team forward, and we're going to just have a time of, of uh, we'll sing a final song. And I want to invite you, if there's any of you that would want to be prayed for, um, and just some of the elders or the deacons, leaders, some of you on the prayer team, if you feel so led, and you just, if you want to find someone that would pray for you, I want to encourage us to start here. One, I encourage Deshaun, part of being baptized is also being baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit. And I want to invite, I told Deshaun, pray with an elder. Kurt, I see you, uh, if, if you and maybe Scott, if you guys want to pray for Deshaun. But also, if you want to be prayed for, what is the ministry that God is calling you to? If you think of that fivefold and you say, God, I would love to be a part of that. Lord, I would love to join in that. I'm not sure how I can. I, I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know if I have gifts for that. We'll, we'll talk about that. But would you have just someone pray for you? That, that he would lead you and guide you and use you for one of those purposes. Let's pray together. So Jesus, it is overwhelming the call that you have for us, the purposes that you have for us. Lord, we recognize before you we don't deserve it. We are all sinners saved by grace. We all miss the mark. We all fumble and stumble. We all fail to live lives worthy of the new creation that you have made available for us, that new creation life, this kingdom life. And and yet you still invite us, Lord, to be used by you So, Lord, we say, help. Teach us. Disciple us. Lord, would you draw straight lines with us who are crooked sticks? Lord, would we live the grace, the manifestation of this serving grace through you, Christ Jesus, to... Our world is so desperate. Our world needs you now more than ever.
Lord, would you help us to live your purposes as your children? Lord, if there's any division among us, Lord God, would you help us to make every effort to address that division? If you want to be prayed for with the division with a, a, a friend, a co-worker, be prayed for that. Lord, help us to make every effort to preserve the unity of your spirit. 